0: Our second lesson today is Colossians, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. The speed be to God. Amen. Today we begin a three-week uh, series of sermons on this third chapter of Colossians. And if you look ahead to verse 12 you'll see where Paul reminds us that as God's people his very own sons and daughters that we are uh, chosen. We are God's chosen people holy and beloved. That's the overarching theme of our meditation today and for the next two weeks. I want you to think about that. I want you to really think about that that you and I Sinners, one and all, have been chosen by a loving God. Uh, Paul rightly and faithfully emphasizes what the Lord has done, what Christ has accomplished for us. God loved us before we knew how to love him in return, right? And then Paul, being a faithful servant of the Lord, reminds us of who we are to be and how we are to live in light of what our gracious God has already done for us and among us. So when I talk about chosenness, I know that some of you are already racing ahead and you're thinking about predestination. I know this because I know this congregation. I've been here a long time. And rest assured, we will uh, address the uh, topic of predestination but not today. So you've got to come back. And I'm not going to tell you whether it's next Sunday or the following. You've got to come both times. But today we're focusing on just these first uh, four verses. And as we do, I want you to think with me about the situation, about the context in which this letter was first written. Uh, we know that uh, Paul wrote to the Christians living in Colossae, sometime around the year 60, 62 A.D. And uh, Paul, uh, as it happened several times, happened to be behind bars. He was in prison in Rome about the same time he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in prisons today. Some of you do that, maybe as part of your ministry. I can tell you that in uh, my years of ministry some people in the body of Christ have done things um, that not only grieved God's heart, but were violations of the law of the land, and they wound up in prison. And I have visited church members during their period of, of incarceration. But none of the prisons today that I've seen were anything like uh, the prison cells that Paul occupied, uh, no libraries. Uh, no dining hall, no hot showers, no fresh linens, no weight rooms where you could go and work out and deal with all your stress of being incarcerated. Uh, being a prisoner in Rome was anything but pleasant. That's the situation. And even there, Paul is faithfully carrying out his ministry. Just think about that. That's a sermon right then and there. He's not having some pity party. He's thinking about the wider church and the kingdom of God. Um, his letter... Um, was delivered by a man of the name of uh, Tychicus. A lot of us name children after biblical characters, right? You know, Luke, Matthew, James, Paul. I've never known anyone to name a son Tychicus, right? But he was a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, Paul tells us. He held this man in high regard. And this brother in the faith had to travel um, some 1,300 miles from Rome eastward to Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And if you look at that slide, you see Rome way up there in the left-hand corner and Colossae further to the right in the center section. And let's remember, this was no easy journey. It was an arduous journey. No plane, no train, no taxi, no bus, no Uber. So why did Paul have to write? Well, there were problems. You know, the church on earth has had to deal with problems from the very beginning. Jesus had to deal with problems among his own chosen 12 disciples when they simply did not comprehend and not understand the the teaching that uh, he provided on the nature of the kingdom. And there were false teachings that were threatening the church at Colossae that um, lessened, uh, the centrality, the uniqueness, the, the power and authority of Christ alone. And there were teachings that also undermined uh, the freedom that these new believers had uh, in Christ, having been joined to his death and resurrection. Some of these false teachings involved uh, human philosophies. There was apparently um, a cult-like thing going on with the worship of angels. And then there were folks, and they seemed to pop up every generation, including our own, who wanted to add to the freedom that is ours in the gospel these new layers of, of human teachings and laws and requirements about what you're allowed to eat and what you're allowed to drink and what you must avoid. So Paul, as a pastor, a missionary, a servant of the Lord, an evangelist, wrote to warn uh, the Colossian Christians about the danger of these false teachings and to encourage them uh, in the truth, in the power of the gospel and in their growth towards Christian maturity. He reminds those Christians, as he reminds us today, that we are uh, in Christ, united with him, in a death like his, and a resurrection like his, and that having this new identity, having been chosen by God through his grace, uh, we are to be a uniquely uh, cruciform, cross-shaped, a uh, Christ-centered community, living in this joy and this power, and this freedom that is ours in the risen Christ. And by the way, as if all these um, uh, contextual issues, all these false teachings and problems weren't enough, historians tell us that about the same time this letter was written, uh, there was an earthquake in Colossae, and the people had to deal with the destruction that comes with earthquakes. And um, it reminds me that there's so uh, little truth uh, to the assertion that people often want to make today that, you know, it was easier to be a Christian back in the New Testament times in the first century when things were just so easy and simple and beautiful and, you know, uncomplicated. Ha! There have been false teachings from the beginning and those folks had to deal with calamities just like we do. Um, So let's not um, dishonor the faithfulness and the tenacity of those early Christians Uh, following Christ has never been necessarily easy by worldly standards, right? And I don't know that it was meant to be easy. Uh, Jesus said, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and get in line. I'll show you the way that is the way of life itself. And in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, there is a hope and there is a power and there is a joy that this tired old world cannot give and that we are uh, unable to create for ourselves through human philosophy or sheer determination. So let's uh, look at the text. Let's meditate on these uh, verses. You have been raised with Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sake and mine. Uh, Our God is not bound by time and space. Um, As far as the world is concerned, um, there was no version of me until 1957, right? That's when I was born. But God, not being bound by time and space, uh, took my sins upon the cross when Jesus died, and there he took your sins as well. And Jesus did that dying so that you could live with him now and forever. And in fact, the word of God tells us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, we have been raised with him as well through our baptism into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, most Christians think of that great getting up day, as our evangelical friends like to say, when the Lord will come again and we're going to receive the resurrection bodies that never wear out, that never are afflicted with uh, injury or sickness or disease, and that's true. But according to God's word, our resurrection life has already begun through our being uh, chosen by God and united with Christ in a death like his that we might live our eternal life beginning now in a resurrection like his. And Paul then reminds us that having been chosen, um, having been raised with Jesus, living this new life entering this kingdom that we are to seek the things that are of Christ to desire the very same things that Jesus desires where he is now seated at the right hand of God and by the way that's why we say it that way in the Apostles Creed right? The Apostles Creed is all based on scripture. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father Paul reminds us of that and Colossians, so seeking the things that are of Christ, thinking about the things that are above, um, it might sound to some as if we are supposed to then uh, ignore all the stuff going around us and step back and protect ourselves from the world around us and d- divorce ourselves from you know earthly things, uh, to not let our minds be polluted by. Uh, worldly issues, and not be distracted by the problems in society around us. You know, don't think about things of the earth. Instead, you know, to some, this might sound like, you know, you've got to use your sanctified imagination to think about the throne of God and what heaven looks like and what the angels are doing. You know, other worldly stuff. And while to some it may sound like this is the instruction... It's certainly not what Paul intended. And Jesus, you know, told us to be uh, in this world, fully engaged in this world, but not of it. And you see, there's the difference. Uh, Those who follow Jesus, those who think like Christ, those who seek the mind of Christ, who want to um, become apprentices of the master teacher Jesus... Uh, We are indeed to set our minds on Christ who is now above at the right hand of the Father. But we think about Jesus. We think about Jesus who lived on this earth and ministered among God's people and how he used his mind and his love and his power and his sonship uh, who used um, his energy to care for people, to reach out to the marginalized Uh, to bind up the brokenhearted. So if we think like Jesus, if we seek the mind of Christ, it doesn't mean that we remove ourselves from the world, but we let the light of Christ's love shine in the darkness of this world. We feed the hungry, we clothe the naked, we give drink to the thirsty. It means that we uh, don't apologize for being a servant community in a world that often tells us that that's a waste of time. You know, look out for yourself, look out for number one. Your comfort, your pleasure, your desires, those are the most important things. So goes the knowledge of this kingdom, of earth. Not so in the kingdom of God. I want you to think back to that context again, in which Paul wrote this letter. Uh, The Romans, Roman culture, had great trouble understanding what made these early Christians tick, what motivated them. Uh, These Christians worshipped a nobody, a carpenter's son from Nazareth, that the Romans put to death on an ugly, humiliating cross as a criminal. That made the Romans scratch their heads. And they affirmed their faith in this crucified criminal even when it meant they might be imprisoned and beaten. And put to death as well. Uh, These Christians, these people of the way, uh, follow Christ even when it meant they were looked upon not just with curiosity, but even contempt by those who had worldly power around them. And you see, this is what the apostle is getting at when he describes our life being hidden with Christ um, it doesn 't mean that our faith is to be you know secretive that we hide it, that we guard it, that we don 't let others know that we belong to Jesus that we claim him as Lord and Savior, but this hiddenness of our of our faith of our life in Jesus means that um, you know worldly powers have a hard time seeing it it seems hidden to them because you know the Romans when they looked at this Nazarene on a cross what do they see? Failure um, weakness brokenness um, powerlessness impotence so many didn't see on the cross the strength of Jesus the deep love of Christ and the courage that must have been his setting his face to Jerusalem knowing he was going to be uh, betrayed and tortured and, and nailed to a cross those Romans saw strength in terms of the sword you know and the fist strength was your ability to conquer others force them into submission and keep them in submission and then Jesus shows this strength in the power of the cross Power that was on display as he submitted himself to a death that he did not deserve without crying out and complaining about how unfair it was. I've been framed, I shouldn't be here, you've got the wrong man. He didn't protest based on his innocence. He submitted himself to the will of the Father to the point of feeling utterly forsaken. So we're told to set our minds. On this Christ. To put our our minds to it. Those of you who've been here at faith for a while. um, I hope remember. Some sermons that I preached about. um, The differences between trying and training. Does that ring any bells for any of you? I should not. Oh one hand. Yay. You know when it comes to our Christian life. Um. I think both are, are necessary. You know, we, we try by God's help to serve the Lord and glorify His name, but we're also supposed to be, you know, in training. That's what discipleship is. You know, we're in, we're in spiritual training, following Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I know this movie's been out there a while, but, you know, I try to watch it at least once a year. It's just a really good place for me to go spiritually. As I think about my role, um, not just as your pastor, but, you know, as a, as a husband and as a father and a grandfather. Do any of you remember seeing the movie Fireproof? came out around 2008. Um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, even if you're single, even if you're a widow or widower, it's a movie worth seeing because it speaks of what it means not just to try, but to train yourself intentionally, by God's grace, uh, to to glorify the Lord. I won't ruin the movie for you if you haven't seen it, but basically there's a husband who's challenged by someone else to start acting as if he loves his wife and they're going through lots of trouble and there's great anger and great distance between them. But he's challenged to put his mind to it. Um, trying to make his marriage better was a good start, but he was Challenged by a brother in Christ to train himself every day to act like a loving husband, and to train himself to treat his wife the way God would want any wife to be treated. And if you saw the movie, you know the precious and powerful and heartwarming ending with its um, sweet surprise, which is not sugar coated or sappy. But there's something to this training. Um, how many of you remember, I think it was two summers ago, I told you about a man that was here from the Midwest uh, for a, a wedding. And if you remember the guy that I saw, he came in for the Saturday wedding. And I'm telling you, his lips were cracked and blistered, and his face was fiery red, and he was, you know, limping. And I didn't know this guy, but I thought, you know, are, are you okay? Are you all right? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. I just, I, uh, I tried to do La Luce yesterday. Um, now he lives at about 600 feet elevation and he walks, you know, two miles a day at 600 feet elevation where the land is flat and he thought, you know, this would be really cool to do La Luce about eight miles, right, and it goes from 7,000 feet at the trailhead to about 10,000 feet at the top he tried really, really hard but he only got about halfway didn't take a water bottle didn't take any sunscreen, didn't take a visor, sunglasses, and so he he was broken. He was beat up, and it showed. And I said, you know, there's um, a difference between training for Leluce and trying. He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I know. And he promised me that he was going to come back someday and try it again, and he'd let me know, but I haven't heard from him yet. But there is a difference, right, between just trying and then committing yourself to a... An effort of training and devotion and discipline. So in the coming days, I'm going to ask you to do something that I'm challenging myself to do. Um, what area, just pick one. I mean, I've got so many I could choose from, but what one area of your life um, needs more of Jesus? What one aspect of your life and your relationships needs Just some really Christ centered training. Uh, It might be your prayer life. It could be um, your devotion to reading the Word of God and letting the Word of the Lord speak to you. It could be the language that comes out of your mouth, especially when you're angry or frustrated. It may be the way you speak to your children or your spouse or your parents. It may be that attitude that you've got about those people at work that are just so annoying. What part of your daily life, your discipleship, needs to be crucified with Christ and raised with Christ? Think about the ways that you might um, seek the mind of the Lord and how you might allow God to be at work in your heart and in your home, training you up in your devotion to be a follower of Christ. I can't tell you how many people I've heard from just recently who said, you know, Pastor, I started the new year with such great intentions. I just was going to make a resolution to pray every day and by January 8th, um, I just ran out of time. That's trying, and it's not trying very hard. Training means... If you run out of time, set your alarm 15 minutes earlier every day and do it, right? That's training, not just trying. I uh, know one member of this church, and I'm not going to mention his name. But um, a few years ago, I thought it would be a great idea if I uh, took up the game of golf And it was the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. And after two years, I gave my clubs to my son-in-law. Those of you who golf, God bless you. I don't get it. I just don't get it. But in that short little window where I tried golfing but didn't train myself to golf, right? Um, Whenever this guy hit a bad shot, he would would say, Oh, sugar. Sounds like another word, doesn't it? And I said, are are you saying that just because the pastor's golfing with you today? Nope. Nope. I'm I'm training myself not to say that other word. Because when I first started golfing, I said it all the time. (laughs) But now I'm just trying to not let that come out of my mouth. Because he said, I I found myself saying it in other places where I shouldn't. So he's just training his tongue, right? And that might seem really silly to you, but... It's important to him. And that's how he found a way of training his vocabulary. So remember this. You've been chosen. You've been raised. Your old self has already been crucified with Christ. And the Lord is um, already at work on the new you. The resurrected you who's been raised with Jesus. This uh, cruciform life of ours... This dying and rising, oh, it's a daily business. And for some of us, it's, it's hourly. Always seeking to be renewed by God's grace and dying to self. But I want you to remember in these coming weeks, as you think on these things and consider training yourself by God's grace, you've been, you've been selected, you've been chosen by God. By the living God. And uh, God is not done with you. And he's not done with me either. Not yet. (laughs) In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.